episode 83, Mr. Klopp, two middle-aged men in Cleveland, rocking and rolling. 83, 83. Ricky, I think of Ricky feature. Ricky double feature. Name? Yeah. About Love that. that guy. Well, two weeks have gone, and now we're back together. Yeah. It's been an interesting few weeks for myself. Um, a lot of things to talk about throughout the podcast, places I've been. I have some wonderful, you can really buy this this week, but I, I want to go on a little bit of a different tangent. Okay. Didn't give you an update on this. City of Cleveland now has a new mayor, Mayor Bibb. He's doing some great things throughout the city. Um, got to play in the celebrity basketball game over All-Star Weekend, which was cool. I know that he's been focused on how we snowplow in the city, which I think is great. I think a lot of people are very positive on what he's brought to the city and what he's doing and all that stuff. I have one recommendation. Just one? Just one. Okay. Change the parking meters in town. Change, change them. Change them. Change them to letting them be credit card accessible. Ah. People have to pay with a credit card. Yeah. I sit here today as I am on location looking outside of a window of two parking meters where if I want to use them, I have to put in quarters. Yeah. This is like this all throughout the city unless you go to an ABM lot or a few other lots where you could pay by credit card. What is this? I asked Mayor Bibb as one of the things that he can do to find a different way to increase income in the city, change the parking meters sometime soon. That's my rant for the day, Ted. Okay. That's all I got. Well, now you mentioned that he played in the celebrity uh, uh, basketball thing at the, uh, the All-Star game. You went to the event at the uh, public hall. Tell us about that. Yeah, that was cool. It was uh, basically kind of a fan fest. So mm -hmm. they had a bunch of different memorabilia and then a lot of interactive things. It was geared towards kids. Um, they had an opportunity to shoot baskets on a court. You could take pictures with the championship trophy. Mm. You could take pictures with this really cool art mural that they had that had all the Cleveland All-Stars from throughout the years. Larry Nance, uh, Nate Thurman, obviously, Austin Carr, Mark Price. It was cool. So Larry Nance. Larry Nance, fourth hooray. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just neat. And I didn't know Public Hall. I mean, this is how much I know. I didn't know Public Hall had two floors, by the way. Do you know that? Um, well, they got the basement and then there's the main floor and then there's the right, uh, upper deck of seats. I was never in the basement. Oh, okay. Never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never. Yeah. Yeah. So it was cool. They, they had free autographs. So Isaac Akora was there. When I was there, Evan Mobley was there. Colin Sexton was there. They had some of the mascots running around. I mean, it was cool. It was very well attended. There's no doubt nice. about that. And I, it just, it was easy to get in, easy to get out, to be honest with you. We got through everything in two hours. We ended up buying a basketball, just to kind of remember the day and all that. But it was, it was fun. I, I think the whole festivities and the way Cleveland was portrayed from obviously All-Star Weekend, the slam dunk three-point contest, the rookies game. They had an um, all-black college basketball game where Howard play at the CSU Convocation. How they put all that together, I think everything was very well done, in my opinion. Really, huh. really good. It made a lot wow. of money for the city, for sure. So. Well, last week, we, when we talked to uh, John Grabowski, we talked about public hall. And it is interesting. A lot of folks, they, they, everybody just thinks it's just the main floor. And there's Correct. a lot more to that building than just the main floor. So, yeah, yeah. Neat building. And uh, sounds like you had a good time at a neat event. It was fun. And, you know, how blessed are we that we had the draft here last year. And then this year, obviously, we, we have the All-Star game. We, and then we had the MLB All-Star game not too long ago as well. So, I mean, a lot of cities never have any of those events. So we've had all three. So that's, that's yeah. pretty cool. And, and once again, they only allow you to do that because you put on a great show. You're a great host. And, and hats off to all the people in Cleveland for doing that. And now if we could get to just get the streets plowed, we'd be all set. Streets plowed and yep. parking meters. Would parking be meters. For extra money. Yeah. All right. Well, coming up on this week's show, what do a birth and a palindrome have in common? We have the answer. Ken is out and about again. We're going to tell you what he's been up to. Did Cleveland have the first traffic signal? We're going to try to answer that in our Cleveland history segment. 
and we will visit with Mark Hamer. He is the creative director for a local production company, has a new movie out starring a former Browns running back. We've got that and much more coming up. Time for your favorite segment. You can really buy this. Mm. I wanted to do something special because of the all-star game and you deserve more mm. just because of the person that you are. So thank you. You can really buy this is not one, but has two segments to it. I thought you'd really enjoy that. Okay. So the first one has to go back to the all-star weekend. As everybody know about the all-star game and they had festivities on Friday and Saturday and obviously the game on Sunday, a lot of things going on around town. You certainly had uh, fashion shows hosted by LeBron James's mom. You had numerous parties throughout Cleveland. You had a, a big dinner just outside the flats with Rick Ross, the artist, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James, host of different things. Machine Gun Kelly was seen running around with Megan Fox as they were in the flats as well. But I wanted to talk about one event and it happened in a place that you and I know very well. Mm. The place is called the Galleria. Remember the Galleria? <laughs> well, I did some research and I've heard from a couple different friends and I've heard this, I would say for the past two weeks. Did you know that the Galleria on All-Star Weekend hosted a concert? Uh -uh. Did you know this? Well, I didn't know this, but I dare I say they probably had room for it. They had plenty of room for it. Now, they, uh, the performers in this were Little Baby and Gunna, and I've heard their music before. I'm Great sorry. Artists. Who 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 was it? It's Little Baby and Gunna. Get on okay. Spotify, man. They're on Okay, there. okay. You can listen to them. We're on Spotify. We are on Spotify. Yeah. We're on the same platform as Little Baby and Gunna. I just well, there's, that. there's, now I feel like. Now, I don't know if. I mean, I don't know if they're listening to our stuff or we're listening to them. So maybe we could find a way for them to okay. do that. Okay. All right. I digress. So this concert that happened at the Galleria, the doors opened at 9 p.m. And the concert lasted till 4 in the morning. Okay? <laughs> yep. 4 in the morning. Obviously limited tickets. Early arrival was recommended. There was a dress code. Hats, ball caps, and shorts, and baggy clothing were not allowed. You had to have a collared shirt on, all this other stuff. The stage, you're going to just find this amazing. The stage was put in the area of the food court. Uh, you know, I did they use the uh, the let's make a deal drapes for the... Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So... Was Carol Merrill there to open the, open the curtains for him? Yep. Okay. So you could buy tickets. Okay. Uh -huh. So I did the research on tickets, thinking, all right, you know, I didn't have a chance to go to the event. I'd spend time with my kids and all that stuff. So sure. I'm like, all right, you know, what would have been the cost to go to something like this? If you just wanted an individual ticket to the concert, individual ticket, individual ticket, $6,900. I'm. I'm I'm sorry. I thought you I could have sworn I heard you say you started that number with 6000. That's correct. $6000. Okay. Now, if you want to step it up a little bit more and get yourself a VIP ticket, which obviously would be a meet and greet, mm, with, with you're going to have to pull out $10,000. Uh... <laughs> 10 grand. Oh my God. It's the little baby and gonna. And by the way, I imagine you probably got some marijuana as well, because rumor on the street is that the Galleria, after this event was done, mm. smelled like a ganja house. Oh. So, <laughs> there you go. Oh. So you missed out on that event, uh. but don't you worry. I have another event for you to attend. Oh, this good. This one is not in Cleveland. Oh. So coming up, on Saturday, if you're a sports fan, many people know that North Carolina is taking on Duke in their final regular season game at Cameron Indoor Stadium in Durham, North Carolina. This will be the final home regular season game for head coach Mike Krzyzewski. 
I'm not going to go through his resume. If you don't know yeah. who Mike Krzyzewski is, that it's, you just need to yeah. do some research. Probably one right. of the greatest college basketball coaches ever. Mm -hmm. So, as many people would think, tickets for this event will be limited. Uh, so I'm okay. like, you know what? I'll check this out. I'm not going to go, but I'd like to see what the cost would be mm -hmm. if I was going to go to the last game where Mike Krzyzewski was coaching his final regular season. Okay. Well, the cheapest ticket I found was in row N in section nine, which, as you would think, is high up. Yeah. Cameron Indoor Fieldhouse isn't that big. I think it holds, I would say, 10,000, 12,000 people, something like that. Okay. The price of that ticket is $2,893. So okay. that ticket was actually more than what it would have cost to go to the All Star game. So the average cost for the All Star game was $1,600. Mm -hmm. But I found the ticket for you, Ted. Oh. Right across on the other side of the court. This is, once again, in the upper area. It's section one, row P. So you're all the way at the top. Mm -hmm. I guess you're coming, you're in the area where the players come out. I guess this is why such a, you know, would be a, a coveted ticket. The ticket for this section right now on a third-party site, which is the only way you can get a ticket, $16,900. Yikes. $16,000 to go and watch a game between Duke and North Carolina. Obviously, a big game concerning it's Mike Krzyzewski's last game. But for $16,000, I can either go to that game or buy a new car. Yeah. So... I'm thinking I might go with the car. To be honest, Maybe a year or two of college for the kids. College for the kids. Yeah. But really, really, almost like a month vacation, I imagine I could do Jesus. Okay. Wow. So there you go. That's my research. You could really buy this. You could have went to a concert at the Galleria for $10,000 or get your money together. And this Saturday, go watch Mike Krzyzewski coach his last regular season game in Durham, North Carolina, for $10,000. Ted, mm. it's a lot mm. of cash. But you know what? I know you could really buy this. Miss Speak of the Week now, and I don't think it'll come as any surprise, given the uh, state of affairs in the world at the moment, that uh, President Biden has been uh, speaking more and more, and thus the opportunity for a misspeak is greater. And wouldn't you know, he gave us one this past week. He held a virtual event on critical minerals. Hmm. He also attempted to highlight his administration's ability to create jobs. This is what he had to say. In my first year as president, we had the, the, the greatest year ever in job growth in American history, 6.6 .6 million jobs, faster economic growth than nearly the fastest in nearly four decades. And that's why America added 375 manufacturing jobs last year. 375 manufacturing jobs, Ken. That's it. That's all we they added. Are leading the way, baby. 375 on the manufacturing. Oh, poor Jim. That impressive? That's something, I'll tell you that. That's <laughs> 375, got it done. I'm I'm going to guess he dropped a word there, maybe like, I don't know, 1,000? 1,000, yeah. Thousand? that's probably Yeah, yeah. Well, regardless, he left that out, and that is what created the misspeak of the week. Our guest today is the creative director for a Cleveland-based production company that's made some interesting movies and some that uh, have had some pretty big names, both locally and across the country. Uh, the name of the production company is Garage Creative Studios, and the creative director is Mark Hamer. So let's talk with Mark. And Mark, welcome to the show. Uh, we we found out about you because of this uh, latest movie that you've done called The Hunting with a uh, gentleman that uh, Browns fans might recall, Peyton Hillis, former running back. Uh, my first question for you is, can you tell us how Peyton Hillis comes to be in a, in a movie 
that you're producing. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Really uh, appreciate it and uh, love what you guys are doing too. So I'm excited to be here. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, we're, in, we're in Cleveland, um, kind of like service the, the, the Cleveland area in, in terms of you know, all kinds of production work. And when we were putting this movie together, we wanted to staff it and cast it with as many people um, that have Cleveland roots as we possibly could. Um, and then the role that Peyton actually plays, it's kind of this uh, physically dominant type of character. And uh, we thought when we were casting it, like this is, uh, this is an NFL player. This is, you know, someone that kind of has that, that presence. And so wanting to, you know, get people that had some uh, significance within the, the Cleveland area, we looked at uh, retired NFL players and retired Browns players. And uh, through a mutual friend, we got in contact with Peyton and, you know, we're really lucky to have him. I think he did a fantastic job. Mark, I just think that's really cool. And the part that I really enjoy about this whole thing is not only Peyton Hillis, but the, all the cast and the crew is all from Cleveland. And then you shot this movie in Manaway, Ohio, which I actually know very well, right outside of Aurora. How did you choose Manaway as the location for the shoot? And what goes into the process when you decide where you're going to shoot and how long that takes? Yeah, yeah, sure. That's a that's a great question. And, um, you know, in addition to wanting to have all, you know, Cleveland crew and, and, and cast and all that kind of stuff, you, you have to do it here. Right. You have to have like your locations here. And the story within the film actually takes place in small town America. So the way that it is scripted, it could be any small town um, in the United States. And so in doing that, you kind of start driving around and doing, you know, location scouting in, in your own backyard. And, you know, like I just happened to be driving through uh, Manaway and kind of going down the main strip there that goes right through the center of town. And uh, I just at first glance, I was like, this is it. This is everything that uh, we had scripted. Um, I stopped out there at uh, Restoration 44 Coffee, that coffee shop that's on the corner and, and walked in and they were really receptive and, and really nice and friendly. And, you know, I sat on the patio and just looked around town and um, it just kind of had this really cool look to it. Um, and so that's kind of like the, the easy answer of, of, of how we got there. But there were many steps before that. There was other parts that we looked at and they were great, but logistically things didn't work or, you know, there were um, stipulations that we could only do some things in the town, but not all the things that we needed to do. And when we got to Manaway, um, we get some introductions to the mayor and the police chief, and they even, you know, walked me around town and gave me a tour of everything. And I showed them the location that we needed and, you know, the, the sets that we needed. And uh, they were just really uh, amazing. And so it was kind of a no brainer to shoot it there. Let's talk a little bit about Garage Creative Studios. I know you're based in Brecksville. Tell us a little bit about the studio and how it got started. Yeah, sure. So we, are a, a motion picture studio that pretty much handles anything from feature films like we're talking about here, you know, all the way down to 30 second commercials that, that you see on TV. And historically, you know, we have been a, a, a commercial production company, uh, meaning that we did 30 second commercials. Well, in the past, you know, like 10, 15 years, the market has really changed uh, to the entertainment side of things for us. And so, you know, we started doing more and more entertainment uh, pieces of work. Um, and to now we're doing a lot of, of features was where this one uh, that we're talking about today came into place. But yeah, we do everything from shooting, editing, uh, storyboarding, scripting, you know, directing, sound design, music composition. We're a, a full service production company and uh, we have, you know, commercial clients around the country. And then we also have uh, entertainment clients around the country. So it's something we really enjoy doing. Mark, you had a movie that you were the executive producer and along with, uh, you know, certainly the uh, Garage Creative that was in 2019 that starred Helen Hunt. Can you talk a little bit about that movie? And was that also a movie that was uh, local, locally produced in the Cleveland area? Oh, yeah, for sure. That was definitely locally produced. Um, a lot of it was uh, shot up in the 
the, the west side over on the lake there, there was a, a house that was kind of rented out that ended up being the set for that film. Um, and then we worked with uh, a, another Cleveland-based production company called Zodiac Features, uh, who put that together. Um, we did a lot of the, the visual effects in-house. I think that that particular film had 190 different visual effects shots that we had to do. Um, but it was also really cool because, again, it was all Cleveland. Um, you know, there was a bunch of different scenes within that film. Um, and everywhere you look, it's, it's, it's got Cleveland in it. Um, another part of that film was shot in uh, Spring Falls uh, because, again, the, that story took place in kind of a, a small town. And, uh, you know, the, the folks putting it together wanted to do Sugar and Falls. And so I ended up uh, shooting there. And uh, it's, it's, it's kind of fun to see all these things come together in this area. Sure. So these movies, these are not, uh, you know, I'm not letting the cat out of the bag here. This is not uh, Spider-Man homecoming or something like that. These are a little smaller. Where do people, where can people go to find and view uh, some of these films like the Peyton Hillis film or uh, the Helen Hunt film or some of the others that you've done? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, you bring up a good point because there's definitely, you know, um, two, you know, kind of uh, markets when you, you think about films. I mean, you think about these big studio films um, and then you think about, you know, like the independent side of film. And we're definitely on the, the independent side, which is something I really enjoy. Um, you know, I think it's kind of like the, the difference between, you know, like big business, medium business and small business. Um, that's kind of how we, we operate more like a, a medium to small business as opposed to, you know, like a bigger business, like, you know, like a Coca-Cola, you know, that's not kind of like what, what we are. So, you know, these films kind of get the, regardless of where they're coming from, I think what is really fascinating with today's market is they still have, they still go to the same places at the end, you know, like there's, uh, theaters that they go to, but no one's not too many one films are going to theaters and most of all of them are going to streaming services. Um, so regardless of whether it's, uh, you know, a big, you know, like $30 million movie or, you know, like a smaller one like ours, it's still going to Apple TV and Amazon and Google Play and Vudu and um, some of those streamers, which is where, you know, uh, the movies that we're talking about today, both The Hunting and um, the other one, that's where they're, they're at right now. And uh, you can go stream them, rent them, buy them um, and all those, uh, those major streamers. Well, it's, uh, that is just so neat, Mark. And it's just where, that's kind of tell you where technology is now. So my question for you, I'm not looking for secrets or anything like that, but do you have a, another project on the horizon that we'll hear about pretty soon? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, this is a funny business where, you know, like you, you go so long with not being allowed to talk about anything and then, you know, you flip the switch and then all you can do is talk about it, you know, and you, you have to let, let everybody know. And so, you know, right now in terms of, you know, when we're talking about the hunting, we're in that phase where, you know, it was just released. And so it's got to be okay to talk about it as much as you possibly can. And then some of the other ones that we're working on, um, I can't say too much, but, um, you know, the, there are a few coming out this year. Um, actually, later in the year, one of them is a, a feature length documentary. Uh, again, a, a total Cleveland story. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll be making some, uh, some announcements about that one later in the year. Very interesting. So uh, a lot of Cleveland, is that, uh, do you do, how much of your work is either based in or based on something involving Cleveland versus not? Um, I would say the majority of it is uh, around Cleveland. And to be honest with you guys, that's, that's kind of a choice. Um, you know, like we, you know, kind of choose to live here. We choose to call this home and uh, we want to, you know, work here as well. And so, you know, everything that we do, we try to, in, in some way or other, you know, either tie it back to Cleveland or, you know, do it from within. And uh, that's something that uh, we really enjoy doing. Um, there are opportunities for, for work. And I'm not going to say we don't do, you know, like jobs that uh, come from out of town or films that come from out of town. Um, we still do those. But our, our passion is really, you know, the stuff that uh, is homegrown. Excellent. Well, very good. Very good and interesting information. If folks want to learn more about Garage Creative Studios or maybe they have a project that they might be interested in. Uh, using your services, what's the website? What's the best way to uh, 
start that process? Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, give us a call or an email. Um, our website is garagecreative.com. And uh, on there is all the, the email addresses and uh, contact information. People can reach out to me and ask for me directly and happy to help um, or talk through projects or just, you know, kind of just talk about things in general when it comes to uh, the, the entertainment industry and production industry. It, it's what we're really passionate about. Um, and then, yeah, the movie, you know, you can check out the movie again on uh, Apple TV and Amazon, uh, Vudu, Google Play, Redbox. And uh, if you just search The Hunting and uh, you look for Peyton Hillis, uh, you'll find it and uh, you can rent it and, and buy it and enjoy it. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate your time, Mark. Best of luck and uh, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you guys. Like I said, this was a lot of fun and I definitely appreciate what you're doing and, and having me on. Ken, some good news here. A very special birth happened last week at a unique time. Judah Grace Speaker was born at Alamance Regional Medical Center in North Carolina. Time of the birth, 2.22 a.m. On Tuesday, 2.22.22, February 22nd of 2022. You want to guess what room she was born in? Oh, I don't know. Maybe a, somewhere with two? Two. She was born in room two. <laughs> How about that? Now, mom, oh Aberly is a Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor, and the necessary cancer treatments she went through made pregnancy unlikely, but obviously successful in this case. No word if the baby's weight included the number two. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Wow. It's almost like think, a win in the lottery right there. So we got 222 on 22222 in room two, and it all happened on Tuesday. Ted, the last two weeks, once again, as you know, one of the best things I'm good at. Let's see if you can answer this. What's one of the best things I'm good at? Drinking. What else? Uh, eating. There you go. So I thought, <laughs> if you're so good at something, you might as well continue to do it. I did a lot of eating and drinking these last two weeks. I was trying to lose weight for my wedding that's coming up in May, but I decided to go the opposite. I'm oh. going to see how big I can get my pictures. That's... So. <laughs> Does, I like does, to basically does tell I, you all the different places I went to, just so you know I'm not making it up, that I really did a did, lot of eating and drinking. Does Eowyn know your plan to uh, um, uh, supersize? Well, I don't think, I think she could figure it out just yeah, looking okay. at my size. I mean, okay. I'm not looking like Tom Cruise. I'm looking more like Chris Farley. Okay. So there we go. <laughs> God rest his soul. All right, this is this is how the, the two weeks went. So met a very good friend that I've not seen in a long time. And we went to Pounders. That's right, the name hmm. of the bar is called Pounders in Parma, which I highly recommend. They have really good wings. And just like many other places, short staff, they had two people there, I don't know their names. They ran around and took care of the entire restaurant and bar on their own. And this place was packed. They had a trivia night and all that stuff. So obviously I was tipping them a lot. So I highly recommend that. We've talked about Noble Beast. I went there again. We've talked about the Buckeye Beer Engine. I went there again. There's a new place that I've not mentioned that is very, very good. A place called Immigrant Sun. This is a new brewery in Lakewood. Uh, two or three different people are involved. They're actually starting to distribute their beer in the local area. Really good food. And obviously, great drinks. That's what I like. I went to uh, Woodstock Barbecue. That's excellent. A place that you're very familiar with, Ted, in the Westlake area. You grew up there. Don Ramon's, a great Mexican place that I went there with Eowyn. That was very, very good. Another place close to that that you should be familiar with, the place called Tommy's. We uh, actually played skee ball there, Eowyn and I. When's the last time you played skee ball? Not with your kids, by yourself. When's the last time you've done that? Um, it's been a little while. So we played skee ball, I must say. 
as many people know, you get 10 balls. I was pretty proud of myself. One of the games I had a score of 310. Yes. Ooh. Thank you very much. I got wow. it done. After that, we decided to go to the patio. By the way, this is all not on the same day. Okay. Just so people don't message in and say, wow, this guy's got a huge issue. <laughs> this was not in the same. This is all spread out throughout two weeks. Okay? Two weeks. Okay. Went to a place called the patio in Lakewood. Have you been there? Um, is that near around the corner? Um, no, not really. This is okay. on Madison. Okay, um, then I'm not familiar with it. I will say it is a cool place. There's no food there, but everyone there is super nice. And the drinks, I'm gonna be honest with you, they're cheap. We ended up, uh, what do we have? I think maybe a total of five drinks over a few hours and our bill was 20 bucks. Oh so boy. There you go. Yeah, that's that's a place to check out. I made the trip south as well, Ted. I made it to Medina. I know <laughs> one of your favorite places. I went to 111 Bistro, actually with somebody on our podcast, Brian Forgosh, who's still receiving positive pressure in his face for a CPAP machine. <laughs> um, spent time with him and his wife and, uh, went to 111 Bistro and then we went to on tap, which is also very nice. Both those places were great. And then, uh, I think I end up at this place. It's gotta be once or twice a week. They just did renovations. The beer is great. And now they've just added food sibling revelry in Westlake, another place you should check out. I've taken you there. Actually, you've been there before. Yes. Um, yes I have. Completely different by the way, they opened it up and, the inside is, you know, there, before there was kind of limited tables. Now there's tables all over and there's a back room area, much more, many TVs and the food's great. Great wings, pizza, all that stuff. So Ted, I, there's other places as well, but I think we'll just leave it at that. So people don't think I'm a complete alcoholic and that, uh, you know, certainly I do work and all that. So we'll, we'll just leave it at that. But uh, okay, that's my, that's how much I've been out and about in the last two weeks. And I, I think we're going to have to start getting out and about together. So we could talk about these places together. It's just not the same with them. I like that. We'll have to work on that. Yeah. All right, another This Week in Cleveland History. And, of course, that means we are with the ever-famous John Grabowski. And, John, here's a very interesting item. Something that I didn't know until I did some research. Cleveland had the first electric light. Is that correct? It all depends on how you define it. <laughs> and we can go through that. So, you know, one of the stories that I believe it's 1914, uh, there is an electric traffic signal that has been installed at 105th and Euclid. Now let's go to the reason for why you needed a traffic signal. Um, essentially in the 19th century when Cleveland's a smaller city, traffic was sort of self-directed horse and wagons. But then you add to that electric streetcars, and by the 1910s, a larger number of automobiles. And you've got these major intersections, and 105th and Euclid is a major intersection. And so you have to have some way of governing it. And initially, it was just policemen going out there holding their hands up or whatever else. But what they did at 105th and Euclid is they, uh, they uh, put in uh, basically a, a signal, an electric signal at, at each uh, of the four corners and uh, it simply had a bell and a red and a green light and there was a policeman there to control it so yes it is an electric traffic signal and it's manually controlled but it misses something major now later on 1916 they erect a traffic tower in the center of the intersection of east 9th street and euclid very busy intersection and so there's a policeman sitting up in this tower and he's actually, you know, pushing the buttons for the, for the signals that go on and off. Uh, and we've had, I think, several other towers that were built at this time. Now, the other thing that you're seeing too is as traffic builds more and more of the Cleveland police force is being designated as traffic police. They're, they're going out to govern traffic and eventually to ticket cars and speeders. So the automobile changes the police force, but that's another story. Uh, one of the problems with the, the towers is they continually got hit by traffic. Uh, <laughs> there, there was an issue there. A little bit later, one of the most noted inventors from Cleveland, an African-American, Garrett Morgan, comes up with a better idea. 
And it's a semaphore style signal. And I think this one is also out at East 105th in Euclid. And what it has is it has a middle arm that comes down that's yellow, it's the caution signal. And so that's where Morgan really breaks ground because you have to imagine you're driving and, and one minute the, the, the light is red and the next minute, I mean, it's green and the next minute is red, it's a sudden stop. So that caution signal begins to control traffic better. Now, to be a real spoil sport, the, uh, <laughs> supposedly the first four-sided modern traffic signal, one with three lights that hangs in the middle, Detroit, 1920, it's on display at the Henry Ford Museum. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, so, and you know, there's, there's another story here, Ken, and, sure. and a lot of these signals reflect on something else that was going on long before this, railroads. Mm. Mm. And railroads used light position signals and semaphores for many years. So uh, there, there is, I would argue, a little bit of borrowing going on from the railroad industry at this time. Sure. Well, how does how does it come to be that of all the places in the country, Cleveland's the first place that tries this, or is it just a matter of the the gentleman who came up with the idea of moving it to traffic was in Cleveland. How did that happen? I, I don't know. You know, because I was looking at this, you know, on, online a little bit ago, and uh, there are a lot of cities that claim traffic signals at the same oh. time. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and they're they're all having, you know, bigger cities are having issues. Uh, you know, uh, certainly Detroit, uh, New York. I haven't looked into, but New York has, you know, huge amount of traffic, even horse drawn. Uh, and, you know, again, you're looking also at electric, uh, electric streetcars coming down. Uh, so, it, yeah, it's, it's a bit crazy out there. John, really interesting information. Well, I guess it's up for debate on who exactly came up with the first <laughs> traffic, electric traffic signal. We'll, we'll have to have that debate. But you know what? For our show, I will just make it Cleveland. How do you sound? Yep. How does that sound? John? Does that I, work? Uh, I, I'm okay with Cleveland if we just say not the contemporary modern traffic signal, but the first electric traffic signal. There we Fair go. That works. Manually, that works. manually controlled. That works. Well, John, thanks for your time as always. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Dan. The most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. Here we go, Ken. Time for the news you've probably missed. Here it is. A man in a Boston transit station was apparently stabbed for refusing to flush a toilet. Oh, my. Hector Avedado is accused of the stabbing. He apparently told the victim, who was still in a stall at the time, <clears throat> he told him he needed to flush the toilet. The victim apparently told Avedado to mind his own business. It was a surprise. They argued more, and when the victim left the bathroom, things turned physical. That is apparently when the stabbing took place. So flush right. that toilet. All right, I have a story. Yeah. I was going to talk about this. <laughs> this is from out and about. I'm not going to mention where this happened. Okay. Having a drink. Decided to use the restroom. I go in the restroom. The gentleman is in there looking at his phone. How do I say this? Watching mm -hmm. watching an adult video at the mm -hmm. station. Sure he was. How do I know this? The sound was on. The sound <laughs> was on. Yep. Well, when I walked in, he left. He, he left? He left. I see. That was probably the oddest situation I've that's occurred in a while. I am not gonna. I'm not gonna say where this happened. Okay. It's not this place's fault, but that was. Okay. That was part of my out and about, and yeah, this story reminded me of that. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Appreciate that. A track a, a truck driver accused of trying to smuggle meth hidden in a shipment of onions. Mm. Investigators made this discovery of nearly $3 million worth of meth at a federal facility in San Diego. Officers say almost 1,200 packages of meth were disguised in small globes with white 
coverings. The total amount of meth was more than 1,336 pounds. Wow. My gosh. A lot of meth. That's crazy. The Director of External Affairs for the Georgia Vocational Rehabilitation Agency. She's accused of faking multiple pregnancies to get paid leave from her job. Robin Folsom has apparently created a fake father for the baby and shared pictures of an infant she claimed was hers. The problem was that the children in the pictures had varying skin tones. And while claiming to be pregnant, a co-worker noticed that the lower part of Folsom's stomach appeared to be detached from her body. What? <laughs> she apparently what? wore a, a fake uh, baby bump to try to get the 15 grand in paid leave. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <coughs> oh, boy. Okay. And finally... A 46-year-old man is under arrest in Las Vegas for accused for for he's accused of threatening to blow up the Strat Hotel and Casino. Police spotted him spotted him wandering outside the casino where he told an officer he told the officer he had a grenade in his backside and he wanted to fart. <laughs> what? He told the officer he had a what? grenade in his backside. And he wanted to fart. Oh, man. That's a set of words I never thought I'd hear in that order. No, but no, that's that's unexpected. Brian Gower also apparently told security they had 15 minutes to evacuate the building before it exploded. He now faces multiple charges. Okay, here's the last question. <laughs> Was he drunk, high, or both? Yes. Okay, thank you. And that's this week's collection of Klopp's Clips. Cleveland! This is for you! Ready for another This Week in Cleveland Sports? Our Cleveland sports expert, Dusty Sloan, is here and ready to chat up some sports topics. And our topic this week comes from February 26, 1946, Bingo Smith, Bobby Bingo Smith, a star with our Cleveland Cavaliers, was born on this date back in uh, 1946 in Memphis, Tennessee. Dusty, tell us about Bingo Smith, one of the all-time greats. Yeah, absolutely. Bingo Smith kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit in Cavs history. Doesn't have the really big numbers like a like an Austin Carr or obviously LeBron and them after that. But the, the intriguing thing about Bingo Smith is his consistency. Once he got to Cleveland in that expansion year in 7071, and you look in his scoring charts, it's 15 points, 15 points, 15 points, 16 points every single year. He was a very dependable player. He was always on the floor, 81, 82 games every single year. And the interesting thing about him is the Cavs got him from the San Diego Rockets in 1969 and 70. And then he finished his career exactly 10 years later playing for the San Diego Clippers. So apparently he wanted to play in huh. San Diego just as much as he wanted to play in Cleveland. That's wild. <laughs> and you got to remember too, Dusty, and please remind me, the advent of the three-point shot was not necessarily – in play when he started playing for certainly in the Cavs. And I think later in his career, is that correct? That is correct. The only time that the NBA or the three point shot was his last year when he split between Cleveland and the San Diego Clippers. So yeah, he was scoring his points. He had a career total of 12.6 points per game. And he did all that without the three point line. Yeah. That's and that part that to me is just impressive because it's just a, such a different game then. I mean, it was more of a post game and all that. So Get somebody like that, and he was more of, I would say, small forward, off guard, whatever you want to call it. I mean, that, that guy was, was, was scoring his points, you know, short mid-range jumpers, things like that. You know, one, one other question I have for you, Dusty, on Bingo Smith. You think about some of the top calves, and obviously yourself and Ted and I, are, you know, we're, 
we're not young anymore, as I tell myself <laughs> all the time. But we remember the, the, title the days of, the podcast, of yes. Mark Price and Brad Doherty and Larry Nance and those guys. And Bingo Smith he was a little bit before our time, really, uh, with the likes of, you know, certainly Austin Carr and Nate Thurman. But a lot of those guys, if you think about it, their success, and I'll just use Bingo as an example, they really set the tone for great play for the Cavaliers and kind of set the tone of, you know, being superstars, right? Absolutely. There's no question about that. When you talk about the love affair that this city has with the Cavaliers and and it extends today with how much fun this young team is right now, you talk about that group that's Jim Jones and Austin Carr and Bingo Smith, and then you go into World Be Free in the 80s when the teams weren't that great. But that was the bridge then to those Doherty Nance Price years that really allowed basketball fans in the Cleveland area in the late 80s and early 90s to really embrace this team. And then obviously it trans- transferred on to the LeBron years. And now what we hope is going to be a really good young team for a long time. Bingo Smith, a big part of the miracle of Richfield. Absolutely. I mean, it, 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 you talk about those mid seventies teams and people say, well, why did you put a team? Why in the world are you putting a team and a Coliseum out in Richfield? It's not even in Cleveland. Well, you needed guys like Bingo Smith to play so well to draw those people to the team and out to Richfield. So he was an absolute big part of that. Well, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Dusty. Well, thanks for the uh, insight as we talk about the great Bingo Smith, a Cavalier legend and a great part of Cleveland sports history. Thanks, Dusty. Thanks, guys. Cleveland! This is for you! You didn't make it again. Darn it. But this week, I guess to make up because it's not you, we have three of them. Mm. That's right. Three. The first is the world's largest strawberry. Oh, for God's sakes. Who who comes up with this stuff? (laughs) It was picked a year ago, but Guinness just made the official announcement. The berry was picked in Israel and weighed 10.19 ounces, which is more than half a pound. Does anybody eat these things? I think they'd be afraid to because you would never pass a drug test because of the steroids involved. That's probably probably. What do you got? Well, an Iraqi man is now co-holder of a world record. Ibrahim Sadiq balanced 18 eggs on the back of his hand, thus equaling the current world record. He had to keep the eggs in place for at least five seconds to tie this record. Sadiq says he practiced four days a week to prepare for this monumental attempt. 18 eggs. What's with all the eggs? I don't don't know. Two weeks ago, there was a guy that had four eggs or something like that or three or whatever. Yeah. I, uh, oh man, I don't know. Got nothing. Well, I got one more. The most interesting record for this week. Comes from Nova Scotia. Oh. Yeah. Where a teen set a Guinness World Record by solving 211 Rubik's Cubes while (laughs) while bouncing on a pogo stick. Let's go over that one more time. (laughs) He solved 211 Rubik's Cubes while bouncing on a pogo stick. Yeah. I don't know how you come up with this, but he did it. Saul Hafting says he spent about three months training before his record attempt. My gosh. I, uh, I heard that the, the Cavs are bringing him in and they're going to have him perform at halftime along with the woman that twirls the plates. Oh, that's a good call. I heard that's what they're going to do. So unbelievable. Oh my word. Well, wow. <laughs> those are, those are some overachievers. Not a dad joke. Why do you never see elephants hiding in trees? I'm not sure. Well, because they're so good at it. That joke was horrible. Ken, uh, coming to the end of episode number 83. And please do not 
uh, put anything in your backside while you're near a uh, casino going forward. No, that... <laughs> my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's, the world is interesting and we'll never stop having these stories. Never. You will have clops clips from here until the day we die. Let's That's honest. pretty much it. Pretty much it. Well, we learned about uh, the new movie starring Peyton Hillis. It's locally produced. We learned about the first traffic light in Cleveland. And we learned about uh, B-I-N-G-O. Bingo Smith was his name Oh, All of that that's and pretty, a lot more this week. That's a, that was some great Cleveland stuff. And that's obviously one thing we're trying to push for a lot of our listeners. We've heard some feedback from people. And thank you so much, by the way, to everyone that follows us on Instagram, Ted. Mm. I believe we're over 1,800 people now. So Wow. That's pretty good. Yeah. And I guess I I'll have you, to sign on to Instagram at some point. <laughs> well, you have a profile. You're I, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah, you better check that. Yeah, so. I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. Well, well, did hey, you that's... ever think, did you ever think we'd have a conversation with somebody? And Mark was a phenomenal, by the way, Mark Hamer. Um, did you ever think that Peyton Hillis would be doing a movie? I mean, no. I never, I never envisioned that. That's, I think that's really cool. I just, uh, I, I kind of always wondered, you know, what, where did he wind up? You know, he had the, he had a great year with the Browns and he suffered the Madden curse, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. He yeah. was, he was on the cover and for whatever reason, he was, he never saw the same, same statistical success, but yeah. Yeah. Well, here from the home of rock and roll next week, we're going to talk about, or not next week, two weeks from now, we're going to talk about maybe the greatest guitarist of all time, Eddie Van Halen. Author Paul Brannigan is going to join us. He's written the, the biography of Eddie Van Halen called Unchained. And I'm looking forward to hearing what all he has to say because so many stories out there about the Van Halens and that band. And, you know, they, they keep things pretty tight lipped. So it'll be interesting to hear what he was able to uh, find out. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing from Paul and obviously reading the book. And I was always a Van Halen fan, you know, and you got two sides, you have the side that, you know, kind of went with the David Lee Roth era. And then you have the side that's, you know, with Sammy Hager and all that. I enjoyed both. So I'm, I'm interested to, to learn more about Eddie. And I mean, what a talent. I mean, his, yeah. Van Halen's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, not far from where we broadcast uh, this podcast. And it's it's pretty cool, to, all the th different things he was involved. I know one point in time, and I don't know if you knew this or not, he worked with Michael Jackson yeah. on, on a bunch of different projects. So a very yeah. talented man and considered by many, maybe the one of the greatest guitarists ever. You know, he's, and he just practiced and played all the time. So yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I look forward to talking with Paul. It seems like he's going to, have some great insight and I look forward to his book. Well, we'll see if you and I can't go out and about somewhere between now and two weeks from now. And I'll try. I mean, I don't know. I got two. two weeks to do it. We'll, we'll yeah. see. I mean, I did decent this time considering this is embarrassing. <laughs> There's 12 places on here. Holy <laughs> crap. That's got to slow it down, man. That's, that's almost one a day. I got to wear a suit. For some time in May, and I'll be honest with you, if I keep going this route, I'm gonna be wearing a shower curtain on that altar. That's what you'll well, see. Sometimes. Just, just I, I, I'm sure there's a tent maker that can help you. Yeah. Yep. Was it Geppetto? Isn't wasn't he a tent maker? I, uh, I'm not sure what he was. He was a woodworker, I thought. Well, Ted, the time has come. I don't really have anything else. I don't really have any other questions. Oh, we're just two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland is sponsored by Westminster AV, custom audio-visual packages for all occasions.